0: Show that's my open. That's what they used to call me. Swivel hit Bradford. That's my open. I'm okay. waiting for you to so justify what? your stupid opinion. bradford Show. That's delicious. Boom sauce, everybody. I hope everyone's getting ready for an absolutely outstanding great week. I hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving, great weekend. We're gonna kick things off with the time honor tradition, the thing that people love more than anything, the idea of what might be. And in this case, it's prospects, Red Sox prospects, and there's no better people to turn to when it comes to Red Sox prospects than probably the best prospect site, I think, in all of Major League Baseball for any team, and that's SoxProspects.com. Chris Hatfield is joining us, executive editor. Uh, He has joined forces with Mike Andrews. Ian Kundal, who does an excellent job of scouting. Kelly O'Connor takes awesome photos. A whole team over there, and they're, they do such a great job. So when we want to really break down what's coming and what the Red Sox are dealing with, especially after what happened down, at, uh, Instruct- down in instructional fall league, um, they had some boots on the ground in terms of contacts there to figure out who did what, with some of these prospects stand. All of it. Sox prospects is the place to go when it comes to figuring out what is what and what the Red Sox have. Now, they just came out with their rankings, and a lot of people do a lot of great rankings. Alex Beer, my former colleague at com, does excellent rankings for Baseball America. Obviously, MLB Pipeline, all of it. But I don't know like, if anybody puts more time and effort and tries to siphon as much information. All of these people do. But at least as much as anybody, Sox Prospects does the legwork on this stuff. And Chris is a great guest to have on the podcast. He is very generous with his time, and we rattle off a bunch of names and a bunch of sequences and a bunch of scenarios and a bunch of um, updates in terms of how guys are, how far they've come, and what they're going to be. So. Chris Hatfield, he's the guy that is going to kick off this week on the Brad Foe Show. Once again, go subscribe, go leave a nice review, and it'll make your life much, much better. All right, Chris. Man, thanks so much for joining. There is no better person, not a single better person, to have on than you right now. So this is pretty I appreciate that. Yes. My,
1: my, my, you know, the, the, the fellow brass at Sox Prospects may take issue with that, but I'll, I'll take the compliment and just say thank you.
0: Okay, well, we'll have it more wide-ranging, overarching. Say there's no better person with no, no. the SoxProspects.com, Sox Prospects umbrella, than you guys and, and in turn, yourself. So um, thank you for all that you do, first of all. Uh, thank you for the all your all your people, everybody who works at Sox, Pro, Sox Prospects, awesome. And uh, one of the reasons we wanted to talk was because your rankings just came out, rankings, which, you know, I think that you know, rankings are always great. And I know Alex Spear does a great job for Baseball America yeah. um, when he does it. And then the Globe says, you better put these in our paper because you did the win for Baseball America. And I know this because mm-hmm. he used to work for us, and so we said, "Hey, Alex, Hi. put those rankings in for Wei dot com." So, but he does an excellent job. <laughs> you guys do an excellent job. Um, so, before we get to the, the actual names, if you can talk about the process of doing it, and and sure. you know, I talked to the MLB trade rumors guys about when they it's a totally different list, but their whole mindset when they do the MLB free agents and and how, how, what a, what a you know, process it is in terms of, you know, going through it and the back and forth and the email exchanges and everything else. Tell me a little bit about this.
1: Sure. Well, it's something, you know, we were talking before we started recording about we've been doing rankings at Sox Prospects since Mike Andrews started the site back in, in 2003. And I always feel the need to throw the disclaimer in there. It's not the former Red Sox second baseman, different Mike Andrews. Um, but, you know, it used to just kind of be Mike on his own, making, making a a ranking. And then as you know, the brass kind of grows and and ebbs and flows. And, you know, we used to be more of an aggregation site, uh, in our early days, you know, just kind of taking the bits and pieces that were available, um, from, you know, multiple sources and kind of combining it and, and processing it into our own rankings to where now it's a lot of our own firsthand scouting, which of course was nil this year unfortunately um which made the rankings a really interesting process this year to um you know we do we do a lot of our own firsthand and and you know we are we connected with you know scouts and and you know seeing what the team thinks so it's really kind of a combination of all those things you know trusting your eyes but also being willing to listen to what other sources say and so what it is is there's kind of three of us right now who are on the we call ourselves the brass of the site it's myself mike andrews and our director of scouting Ian The three of us rank out to, I think officially we're supposed to rank out to 70, but at this point we rank out to like 75, sometimes 80, depending on, you know, right after a draft where you just had 10, 15 guys who you might want to rank, maybe not 15, but, you know, up to 10 guys you might want to throw in there entering the system. You know, sometimes it'll stretch out to about 80. Um, We average that out and then we kind of hash through it. Um, And sometimes we'll have a call beforehand where we're just kind of talking about issues we know are going to come up. So for example, this time around, we had just gotten great reports from the fall instructional league, which was really all we had on a lot of these guys this year, which is why we had a lot more movement in our season end rankings than we typically do because a lot of these guys we've had nothing on all year. You know, a guy like a uh, Hilberto uh, Jimenez, who was the position player star of the fall instructional league. We haven't heard anything about him since last fall. Mm-hmm. So how do we process all this? You know, we knew Ian had been down there last fall saw that they were instituting, you know, trying to, uh, you know, put some changes in with his swing. We had no data on how those had looked. Now we come in this year and it's like, we're getting reports like, yep, it looks like it's plus raw, especially from the right-hand side. All right, well, that's one of the issues he had last year where he had really low exit velocities and he wasn't really driving the ball. That's a really positive, positive development. How are we going to do, you know, uh, account for that? Um, something on the other in the other direction, like a Noah Song. Okay, well, we know – you know, as of this past, you know, early summer, we knew he had gone to flight school. How are we going to account for that? And then we go in, we account for it. And afterwards, where we have big differences on guys. Hey, if we all feel differently on a guy, great. You know, we'll put the aggregate out there as the site ranking. And if we feel differently, we can say, you know, look, here's the site ranking, but I like him a little more, a little less for any given reason. Um, But we find for the most part, we're able to hash out most of what we disagree on and, and figure that out. And then we Come up with a finished product after a uh, you know knockdown dragout fight at the end usually, and uh, hopefully we're all happy who, who with was so who the was case. the
0: name? Who was the name? If you would go, if you talk about the knockdown dragout fight. You um, know who was? The, I mean, it wasn't. I'm not talking about like you know number thirty six. I'm talking. Uh, no, about,
1: the, the two guys we had a lot of, of of discussion on at the end this year. One of them was Noah Song, and it's just trying to parse the reports where. OK, you know, when we see someone from the team or we see a report saying, um, you know, hey, you know, he, he when he comes back, what's he going to be like if he comes back? Well, are they hinting at something, you know, that he might not come back mm-hmm. or anything like that? Um, usually not. But, uh, um, you, you know, we're just kind of like, all right, how do we want to account for that? Because we really don't have anything new from our last update. But as we're looking at this, you know, we had Noah Song ahead, ahead of Tanner Houck, the last iteration of our rankings. Probably not appropriate to have that. Okay, fine. We've got Hauk ahead now. But what about a guy like Thaddeus Ward, who we haven't seen pitch? I believe he didn't pitch at the Fall Instructional League, even though he was there, at least in games. You know, how do we want to account for this? And as we talk through, well, look, Noah Song, it's like a guy who's had Tommy John. When you look at a guy like Jake Groom coming back from Tommy John, the velocity's not back, the curveball's not back. He's, you know, he was a guy who fell in our rankings, and we were pretty consistent where we had him. How do you compare that to a Noah song? And it's just kind of hashing out, you know, what does that mean? And the other direction, um, a guy like like Nick York, who we've got this great week and a half set of data from the alternate training site, where sure he looked great against much older pitchers in a week and a half at the alternate training site. Um, Okay, great. That's that's a good thing. Uh, It's a week and a half. And we get the reports from fall instructs where, okay, you know, the scouts we talked to were really down on his defense um you know they like the hit tool but by the end he was kind of wearing down everything was going the opposite way wasn't really driving anything so how do we want to account for all that and and adjusting him appropriately so those are two guys we were really talking about at the end the number one wound up you know song wound up at 11 and york wound up at 13 and there's just a lot of variability on both of those guys
0: the number one it's you know it's funny because it's always a fun exercise to go back and look at these guys and, and look at like where guys the, the top guys were and you know it's amazing you guys do such a good job and like i said alex does such a good job of pretty much nailing these guys and and a, a lot of times it's a lot thinner it's no fault of your rankings it's the fault of the red sox farm system I mean this is just how it is right yeah yeah
1: yeah but, it goes up and down
0: right and so um but you always go your eyes everyone eyes go straight to number one and number yeah. one is Tristan Mm-hmm. Um, at this point, you know, it's hard to argue. We talk about debating. It's hard to argue, especially coming off of the instructs and, and the reports there and, and, and the alternate site. It's hard to argue that he is number one. But it's funny because if you go to um, another, another group that does rankings, MOB Pipeline, you know, mm-hmm. and they'll do. And they had Jeter Downs if, in terms of their top 100. Jeter Downs is the top red size guy throughout this mm-hmm. entire season,
1: sure. and
0: he, and he's number two. And and I don't know. Like, okay, we'll just say Cassis. I we agree number one. Sure. Jeter Downs is number two. Jeter Downs is an interesting guy to me because yeah. because he comes in with like the hype of being a guy in the Dodger system. He comes in with a guy as a guy with the hype of. Um, a a major leaguer, a future major leaguer. But sure. but there's also oh, some people said, oh, well, you know, at the alternate site, he didn't keep up with some of these other guys. Not that that was, those will be all end all. So, mm-hmm. after G- so you have Jeter Downs at number two. Then you have Mata, Duran, Jimenez, Dahlbeck, Hauk. I mean, those names, I could make a case for all of those names above Gina Downs. And I'm not saying that you were wrong, but I'm just mm-hmm. interested in that, that process when it came to Putting that one, two, three, four, five, six, seven.
1: Yeah, I think for the th- for the three of us, it was really a top two in a tier for us. Um, you know, look, the arg- I get the argument for Downs over Casas, and it's just positional, right? Where the threshold for a second baseman in the major leagues versus a first baseman. If you play first base, you've got to hit. I mean, look. CJ Krohn gets DFA'd every year and he hits <laughs> 20 bombs, right? I mean, but that's, that's because you can find a first baseman who's going to hit 20 bombs, right? Whereas if you've got a second baseman who can feel the position and is going to hit 20 home runs, that's like a cornerstone of your infield, right? If he's going to feel the position adequately. Downs is just a tough guy. For me, I, I felt very strongly that Casas was number one just because I feel like there's upside there that's not there with Downs. And I don't feel like it's at the cost of a lower floor with him just because he has such a mature approach, incredible raw power. I really like Tristan Casas and I felt very comfortable with him at number one, but downs. I also felt really comfortable with it too, because it's, there's no tool that jumps off the page with Jeter downs. There's no, you know, this isn't a guy where you're saying, Oh man, it's plus raw or it's a plus hit tool, or even if it's plus speed, it's, He's going to field second base well. He can probably fill in at shortstop if you need him to. He can be like your backup shortstop. I don't know if I'd feel comfortable with him, based on the reports we're getting and what little we saw from the alternate training site uh, in Pawtucket. I don't, he, he doesn't feel like a shortstop to me. And Billy McMillan, the, the AAA manager who was in charge of the alternate training site, had very candid comments. Right, I
0: remember that, yeah. After the
1: season, saying he could probably play short. He's, he's most likely a, for a second baseman. Um, and it's so refreshing to get those kind of candidates. oh, by the way,
0: like like that. I think you were on the same call. It was the end of the year, and where they're yeah. just rattling off guys. It was awesome, and yeah, it was Including, awesome. by the way, the the one quote which I love from Billy McMillan. Yeah, I think we're I think we're gonna win the win the Mitch Moreland trade. I mean, like, and Mitch yeah. Moreland was still playing at the time. Yeah, so.
1: Yeah. And I mean, you know, they did do a great job. at the Yeah. Downs.
0: We'll get to that, but keep, keep yeah. going on Jeter downs.
1: But yeah, on downs, it's just, it's, it's five average to above average tools where he'll be able to stick at at least second base, probably not short, but at least second. And the threshold, I mean, you know, I was looking at this the other day, I believe second base probably with the exception of catcher, if I'm guessing, cause I, I don't remember looking at comparing those two, but, The offensive threshold for second base is lower than any other position, even shortstop, which was kind of interesting to me. But if you figure shortstop is where you've got these Bogarts, Lindor, Baez type studs, whereas right now at second base in the major leagues, you really don't have too many. You know, you've got Cano on the back end of his career, which he's got his own issues right now. Um, You know, you don't you can't really rattle off the studs at second that you have at short right now. So if he can be a slightly above-average bat with above-average power who can play an above-average defensive second base, that's a potential all-star on on a given year if he's consistent. So I think the threshold for him to have an impact at second base is much lower than what it'll take for a guy like Casas. Looking at that other group of players, you know, Mata, it's great stuff. You know, I got to credit Ian, our director of scouting, who was on him real early. Um, who you know saw him at instructs a few years back and we were kind of one of the first outlets to really push him up I love his stuff the the slider slash cutter that they gave him in 2019 has turned into a weapon for him but for him it's the command you know is he going to consistently be able to command all of those pitches I think it's definitely a starting pitcher and hopefully a mid-rotation guy Um, I could also see him coming up this year where depending on how they structure the rotation if there's no room for him but he's ready I think it's really going to play up out of the bullpen. Will he be, if he's sitting mid-90s as a starter, does that bump up to like 97, 98, 99 out of the bullpen where he's a weapon for you at the end of next year with health, which is an enormous question mark given, you know, Sale, Erod, Eovaldi are all injury risks of some kind, right? Duran, we saw... Real, a real, t- a great swing change that they did with him at the alternate training site that seemed to lead to more power. I want to see it in games, right? Uh, you know, great. He's f- facing the same pitchers over and over again at the alternate training site and he's taking them deep. That's great. I want see to seem to do it, do it to another team's pitchers before I'm really shooting him, uh, you know, up, up, up our rankings. Uh, Jimenez, like I said, we didn't see him all year. Great reports on him. Added a lot of power. He looked, he's built like a running back right now is the report we got you know retained athleticism he's not an 80 runner anymore more of a 70 but still if i'll take a 70 runner who can drive the ball you kidding me that's basically sure you know duran and he's athletic we saw dahlbeck i'm sure everybody listening knows his deal it's plus power but you know a whole whole lot of swing and miss a whole lot of strikeouts He's got to manage those to be able to hit the ball you know you can't hit home runs if you don't hit the ball in the first place um and how we all saw what he did what do you make of a three-game sample you know he looked like a future ace, which no no one's saying he is, but it's in a three a it's in a three game sample. you know we hear about this splitter, he barely threw it well, he did not um, throw it at all. he, he threw, threw it like, like nine yeah yeah,
0: and we sat him on the podcast and he was and he was saying and it went so far to and this is a little off topic, but in also just promoting another uh version of the bradfoot show but when when Hulk was on or I talked to the the coach down where he's working out at, at Crescent Performance Center yep. down in Jupiter, because mm-hmm. Houck said I'm working on yeah that's one of the things I want to work on down there. And then um, the coach said, yeah, he's in between how he feels comfortable with that or just the changeup. Well, like well, we're going back to the changeup now,
1: right?
0: So so right. it's but but he scrapped it.
1: That's interesting. well
0: well yeah. I mean we were we were. That's you were on these calls. I mean, that's all yeah. we heard about was the split. But anyway, that is complete. Yeah. Uh, complete aside, not yeah. important yeah. right now. Go listen to the Taylor Hauk episode if you like. But more importantly, yeah. we're on this episode, and uh, but and you go through all these lists, the, the list, and so to make sure that people understand, Cassis Downs, Mata, Duran, Jimenez, Dahlbeck, Hauk, Thaddeus Ward. We talked about a little bit. I yeah. want to get to the last two in the top ten if I can. Sure.
1: Yeah, definitely. So,
0: Carlos Siebold and Aldo Ramirez. We'll start with Sebold. Siebold is a guy who, you know, it's funny because it's, uh, it's so intriguing that you have a guy who is like leaning on a pitch, right? He's leaning on the changeup, which is great. I love it. Like, enough, you know, we can get away from like everybody has to throw four seam fastballs and that's right. it. Like right. I love the days of watching Trevor Hoffman pitch, and I'm not comparing to Trevor Hoffman. Sure. It's just like, oh man, keep
1: I keep, oh full. Yes, oh, oh yeah,
0: I'm, a good changeup. is so awesome to watch. Right. And so obviously, this guy, do you think that that this guy, Connor Steeple, who obviously they got in the trade with Philadelphia with Nick Pavetta, um, that like you put him at number nine. Do you think that this is sort of his ceiling because this is what he is? He's a guy with a good changeup and it's a sort of thin pitching crop, a thin prospect ranking compared to some of the others. Or do you feel like this guy is actually might take a few more jumps here?
1: So it's interesting with Seabold. If you look at our, on our, on our homepage at socksprospects.com, we have the rankings. And then one thing that I always like to point out to people, and this is a great opportunity to point it out is our grades that we put with guys at the end and we give guys three grades first is a projection and then we do a floor and a ceiling kind of scale um and and the projection kind of takes those things into account as well as risk and and all kinds of different pieces and comes up spits out a number but we like to have that three number grade to kind of show really the full picture of a player right and Seabold is the highest ranked player we have who's got we have this with a five ceiling Everyone ahead of him and even players behind him have a six ceiling. That's on the 2080 scale. And that's explained on our site. Um, A five being basically a major league regular. Seabold really doesn't have the upside of like a top of the rotation or even a middle of the rotation arm, but he's just a very likely major leaguer who's got that proximity where he's probably ready in 2021 at some point to come up if they need him, whether it's just for a spot start, a few starts, he's kind of, He's going to be where Hauk was this year, where he's there when they need him. Um, So proximity matters a lot too, right? But after that trade, we spoke to a number of scouts who had seen the Philadelphia system. And the consensus between what we heard and what we were reading elsewhere is just like scouts love that the Red Sox got Siebel. They were really surprised that Philly gave him up for what they got. And this is before the Brandon Workman meltdown right? Um, So, you know, the fact that they got him, never mind Pavetta as well, but that they got him was just universally praised by scouts. So, it's like, okay, we got to keep this guy on the radar. Um, It's just, you know, it's pitchability. He's got command. The best pitch is the changeup, but that's not saying that everything else is garbage. He's got, you know, looking at what we have on his player page right now for, for his pitch mix. You know, we've got the fastball as a potential average pitch. We've got the slider as a potential average pitch. If you've got two average pitches and a plus major league out pitch in the changeup that you can command all three of them. That's a major league starting pitcher, no question. And so if that's what he turns out to be, um, that's a great get, and that's a guy that you can at least really slot in in the back half of your rotation going forward, cost controlled for six years. And that's a very important piece. So that has value. And that's why we have him so high, despite maybe not having that, you know, potential all-star, impact regular ceiling um you know there's value to that kind of player it's maybe you know what we thought brian johnson might turn into at one point you know back when the fastball was sitting maybe more 92 to 94 rather than where he settled in you know 89 to 91 um really like that so there's value to that so um,
0: in so that'll make people feel good number one so i mean, <laughs> I, I i honestly think that so. anytime because we're gonna look back at that trade and be like holy mackerel and really both those trades and. And we said it leading up to that, Chris, leading up to the trade deadline. Um, we compared to hell, look at what Cashman did when he had the window of selling off guys. Uh, yeah. It's so important for an organization, and, and we knew that that High Bloom really had to nail this, and there's a ways a ways to go. but yeah. we know that what you gave up had absolutely no impact and, and workman, Hembry, Moreland, whatever, yeah. and yeah. what you got back, like just look at your list. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's oh, pretty... even,
1: you know, and don't forget about what they got for Pilar and in theory at some point, Osich, although who knows when we're going to hear. About. Right. I have a theory on that piece. But, you know, even Jacob Wallace, the local guy, you know, Merrimack Valley represent, um, uh, you know, getting that for a for a loogie for half a year. You know, that's that's a lot of value. So he really did a good job of trying to bring back value for players that had no value to this team at that time. And that was huge.
0: So number 10 is, uh, is Aldo Ramirez. And,
1: and so I think that if you ask
0: Joe Red Sox fan, like there's always, there's there's always a guy, there's always a guy um, that, uh, like I remember when, when Alex came out with his rankings one time, we were doing the hot Mm -hmm. stove show on EI and Mm -hmm. we spent five minutes on Wendell Reho. And I'm like, five minutes was like, and that was four minutes and 59 seconds too long. So, sure. but, but it was digging in on Wendell Rijo. and there's always yeah. a guy who was like, like, eh. and I'm not saying that Aldo Ramirez isn't going to be really, really good, but he's the guy that I don't think people know. Like, yeah.
1: Yeah. And the thing is that guy can turn into Wendell Riho or he can turn into Brian Mata. Right. And that's the kind of thing with these guys who are so far away. Aldo Ramirez is a guy who was in lol in 2019 um, he's young. He's still just 19 now, so he'll be, I believe, 20 next season. All year, um, yeah, he's he's a May birthday, so he'll turn basically 20 early in the year. Um, and he he's a player who Ian was on really early in Lowell. Um, just said, "Hey, this guy Ramirez, I really like him. He can, you know, it's a fastball, changeup, breaking ball. I really like what I'm seeing out of this guy." And every scout we talked to who's really, you know bared down on that on that low rotation last year really liked him same thing with fall instructs the reports we got guys really liked Aldo Ramirez so I think we're a little early on him in a good way we're like you know I tell Ian if he sees a guy or I'll if I see a guy down here in DC where I live um you know because I'll see Salem come around I'll see Portland when they're in Bowie I'll see Greenville sometimes when they're in Hagerstown. who knows how that's going to work next year but we'll see um but at any rate you know if if you see a guy and you like him, let's and you're confident, then let's push him. You know, let's push him up where we think he should be. And Ramirez was a guy, you know, the the reports from instructs, fastball was 92 to 95, Change-up was upper eighties, 85 to 89, and it probably his best pitch, best pitch. Throws a curveball 77 to 81. And uh, you know, the report one report we got was, you know, two plus pitches in the in the fastball and change up and a, and an average pitch in the curve for a guy who's still in his teens. Um, One one report was the guy said easily better than Jay Groom. Oh wow! There you go. Okay, you know, and that's why we're we've got him above Jay Groom now. But that's
0: that's my point. When people see this list, Jay Groom is the guy. Like we listen, yeah. Listen, he's the first rounder, right? And 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 when you know, we 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 like to do interesting stories. But when you want to go for the layup, you do the Jay Groom story. Sure. Right. I mean, I'm I'm not talking about you guys. I'm talking about you know like any. Any, like, sense. Yes. And so, because people, like you said, first rounder, people know his name mm-hmm. and, and then you have like the Jay Groom highlight reel from alternate side. Oh my goodness. Jay Groom switching. But when they see all the Ramirez ahead of Jay Groom to your point, like that's, that's the big deal.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, like I said, I think we're going to be on an Island with that for a little while. And it's, and it's kind of tough right now because again, we're ranking these after a season, which there were no games. So for all we know, you know, the Red Sox talked about this when they drafted Nick York, right, Where they're saying if there was a spring season, you know, when, when they were basically getting asked about this guy wasn't ranked by anyone as a first-rounder. why? You know, not in these words, why did you take him in the first round? And they said, well, this is where we think he would have been with a full season, and that's where we have him, so we took him there. With Aldo Ramirez, he would have been in low A this season, and, you know, who knows how he would have done. So, you know, we're kind of maybe projecting where he would have been after a full season, right? Maybe it would have been, yeah, of course, Aldo Ramirez with the year he had is in the top 10. The sample size we have is the fall instructional league. So we're going with that and what we know from him previously. Um I've, you know, a number of scouts who've seen him really liked him. And, and that's why we're kind of out on a limb. Again, it's not the world's highest ceiling. Mm. Um, He's a guy who, you know, again, might be that Connor Seabold by the time he gets to AAA. Um, we're not necessarily saying he's a future ace. But if he's a future piece of a major league rotation, that's got a tremendous amount of value and a young player who's a ways away. But, you know, we, we've liked everything we've seen from him and the upward trajectory he's been on, and we really like him. So that's why we pushed him above. You know, Noah Song is the guy with the premium stuff who might have that ace ceiling next at 11. Oh, man,
0: he's a tough one, right? I mean, he's yeah. – I've never – when I went down, and, and you guys do such a good job and, and dig so deep into them, and I know that you guys talk or talk to mm-hmm. the scouts and the coaches right. and, and everything, and, and I don't get a chance, to be perfectly honest, to go down to Lowell sure. as much as I would like. But when I went down to Lowell and Song was down there, and they, they were like, yeah, um, the last guy, uh, remind me of the pitching coach in Lowell. Oh,
1: not Green, no. um. Uh da, 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 da. I know they love him too and I should know I, that
0: I, I, I'm going to edit this and put his name there. Uh so but when we, I was talking to him about song when Song was there, he's like, Yeah, like I'm like, Well, you know, you do the who does he remind you of? And it's like, well, you know, I had Kopeck and Nick standing Green. be standing behind yes, that Nick Reed, yes, Green. thank you. Um standing behind him, watching him, it's the same fast, fastball I'm like, What why? What? what, what? Yeah. Because you know, why Michael Kopeck has a ways to go. But still, like the one thing you say, well, that's his fastball, the guy who throws, who likes to throw 108 miles an hour with a 15 foot right. running start. Uh, right. but, it, but, but, right. but you're like, wow, because you look at Noah's song and you're like, it's not, that's not the image that you get. And then he goes to Japan, has that outing. So for you guys, I mean, this guy, he could potentially be like a number one, the number yeah. one on the list.
1: Sure. I mean, it's kind of funny because, you know, I mentioned, uh, you know, where guys are relative to what we have on their grades. He's the highest guy we have with a two floor, which is like low minors and, and flames out because for all we know, he comes back, maybe he might not, he might not be back till 2022, mm-hmm. right? Because he's in flight school right now in Pensacola. The earliest he could graduate is this coming May. And that's if he like does the, you know, Doogie Hauser blows through it quicker than you're supposed to, you know, takes extra credits to graduate early type progression. Most likely he's gone for most of, if not all of 2021 and doesn't come back till 2022, hopefully at the beginning. It might not even be till maybe the middle, who knows. Um, It's just this big, you know, black box that we just don't know what's going to come out of it in terms of when, and we don't know what we're going to get. Will the stuff still be there? You know, I caught two of his three regular season starts. Ian from our site caught one of those. And I think he caught him in the playoffs for Lowell as well in 2019. It's impressive. You know, add the fact that he like busts out a changeup that he didn't throw in college. And you're like, wait, that's better than this slider that's supposed to be his best pitch. You know, it was just like, and he was just like, yeah, I never threw it in college because I didn't need it. And it turns out I've got a really good changeup. Oh, well, isn't that nice? And by the way, you signed the kit for 100K because he didn't care about his signing bonus. Mm-hmm. Okay, wonderful. Um, so that was a huge scouting win. You know, Reed Grignani was the signing scout there. And the fact that they were on him the way they were is incredible in a year where their first pick wasn't until the second round mm-hmm. um, to try and get some value creatively out of that draft. But yeah, Song, if you told me he's going to be a future Cy Young candidate, I would believe you. If you told me he was never going to pitch above a ball, I would also believe you. Mm-hmm. And that's the player you've got right there. You know, it's, it's a great pitcher's body. It's, you know, three potentially above average to better, you know, pitches, the, the fastballs probably plus he's got to command it better. Um, the changeup and slider, frankly, I could see either of those getting the plus. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think he's going to have three of them. It's just the way progression works. It doesn't usually work that way. But um, if you've got three above average pitches and if he develops command, that that's a future near top of the rotation arm. But he also might come back and not have any of that. He might come back throwing 88 to 90. Who knows?
0: Well, well so when we talk about pitchers, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, you know, this draft was an interesting one. You had mentioned York before yeah obviously we know blaze Jordan and you know he got some pretty he got pretty good high pretty high marks yep. uh down on in instructs for being so young um but then you have the the two guys that not a lot of guys talk about really mm-hmm. is, is shane um sorry i'm gonna go in order jeremy Wu yelling into order of draft not ranking okay. sure. jeremy Wu Yellen, and then Shane Drowin. um what's your take on? On those guys, I know that you have uh, our podcast partner, Woo Yellen, Jeremy, at number 60, and Shane Drohan before that. What's your take on that? Because you, I, talking to people, you know, they're kind of all over the place. And, you don't, and every time you hear, like, oh, it could be like a high-leverage reliever. Like, I don't want to – people don't want to hear that. Even though you say high-leverage reliever, usually you end up there by accident.
1: You yeah. know, like Darwin's yeah. and Hernandez, right? So yeah. started the whole way up pretty much. Right. Into- they
0: yeah. want to know when are you going to get that starter? Yeah. Tell, talk to me a little bit about those two.
1: Yeah. I mean, Wu Yellen looks like, I mean, it's a straight reliever at this point. Um, you know, he's at 60. Now, you know, the thing is with our rankings, once you get to like past 25 or so, if you wanted to really argue with me and put Wu Yellen way higher than we have him, I'm not going to quibble with you. We've got him where we've got him because, you know, the left-handedness is a positive. Um, And the reports we got on him from Instructs were pretty good. On the one hand, you know, it's a potential uh, plus fastball. Um, He worked 93 to 95. It's a pretty effortless delivery. Um, You know, he slings it from kind of a three-quarters arm slot. You know, so he's able to dial up that velocity without, you know, kind of the, you know, drop and drive, you know, putting everything he has into it, which is good um slider that probably you know you grade out as maybe an average pitch um and apparently the the pitch data um the Red Sox really liked you know putting them on the track man and with the you know Repsoto cameras and stuff like that they really liked on the other hand again working off of what we got from the Fall Instructional League um one scout we were talking to who was there for the whole time and, and a lot of the scouts we talked to if he threw 10 innings they probably rolled eight of them Mm-hmm. Um, which you don't know what kind of pitch count he's working with. And, you know, there's command and control. That's always an issue, especially for new guys coming in. Um, you know, so you got to balance those two things. Part of it is throwing the dart with a guy we haven't seen in game action yet. Um, I could see seeing him next year and really being impressed with him in, say, he goes straight to high A, which he might as a college guy who, who isn't going to be in kind of his first full year. I could also see them throwing him in low A. How is he going to look in game action? How is he going to be used to throwing? You know, this isn't a guy necessarily who was throwing every other day in college. So you got to see how guys take to that. Um, And and to us, you know, for me, with a guy who's coming out of college as a straight reliever, which we think he is, I always want to temper my expectations because look at what happened with a Durbin Feldman who we heard about. Oh, my goodness. This guy was going to blaze to the majors.
0: Speaking of, like, a guy on the Bradford show. Yeah, Yeah, I mean – you know, so good,
1: good guy. You know, had a great kind of first year coming out of the draft, got all the way up to Salem, started the following year in double A Portland, and then spent the whole year there and didn't really stand out. So, you know, he's probably going to be, you know, ahead of guys in the low minors because of the Arsenal. You know, if you've got that plus fastball already, he's probably going to be able to blow away guys in whatever the low A league is next year, um, you know, and maybe even high A. So he might be a guy who isn't tested until the high minors. And that's when we really see, all right, you know, as a reliever, what does he got? Um, I could see him moving up a lot. It's really kind of a dart throw to some degree um, on Lou Yelland on, on Drohan better chance to stick in the rotation. Um, you know, the reports we got on him from the fall instructional league um, you know, he was 89 to 92 flashing average secondaries, very projectable, very athletic, which is what we heard coming out of the draft. Um, you know, so that's good, repeats his delivery fairly well. He's not super-duper interesting, um, but it's a good curveball, good feel for pitching. You know, how does he look when, you know, the the professional coaches get a chance to kind of mold that ball of clay because he's a guy who, you know, wasn't one of these guys. He was, he was really kind of raw, low-mileage arm when they drafted him. Um, you know, what will he look like after they get a chance to work with him for an extended period of time? And just that potential to stick in the rotation is why we have him a lot higher. We've got him up now at twenty, no, thirty-three. Mm-hmm. Sorry, thirty-three, mm-hmm. right now, which is about where we had him after the draft. You know, the reports we got from Instruct Square with what we got from there. Um, but again, something of a dart throw. He could move up. He could move back. We'll right. see. How I
0: mean, we. I mean, this is the first time we're seeing these guys in exactly in basically Red Sox uniform. So
1: yeah, um, yeah, it is. And so you know, you've got a small sample size. How much you, are you going to weigh that versus the you know data you had before? You know how much how you're going to weigh that going forward. You got to be flexible with these guys going forward too.
0: So when we talk about you know obviously people want to know like where they're going to be able to fill in gaps on the major league roster in the future. And we talk and I want to go to outfield. So Mm -hmm. the outfield has been a problem. Like we talk so much about their inability to develop pitchers, the Mm -hmm. outfield's been a problem too. I mean when we look at it, and and I always. When in spring training, when we're doing this this exercise of who's coming up at what position, I always go to SoxProspects.com. Like, okay, where's the outfielder? Where's the outfielder? Wait, wait, wait Tate Matheny is you know number thirty yeah. something. I mean, it's, yeah. so um, now I think it's it maybe is turning over a little bit, and mm-hmm. we have some interesting names. You know, I wrote about Juan Chacon, who was a guy they signed international signing guy, nine hundred thousand dollar signing bonus. Um, again, 17 years old, a ways away. Yep. But there are at least some interesting names like that uh, on the list. Yeah, you yep. do this every year. Would you agree that that, that finally maybe bad. there are some names here? That, it's
1: that getting be better, right yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, you know, to give the Red Sox credit, they did have an entirely homegrown outfield in, in 2018. Yeah,
0: that's that's series. fair. I mean, there was Bookie yeah. Best and Jackie Bradley. But you, and, you but know, but know what I'm that, saying. Yeah. Like, why, why we know – put it this way – Since 2014, while we knew those guys were there, we're like, okay, where's the next level
1: of these guys? Yeah. And so, I mean, you know, we already mentioned Jaron Duran. I won't belabor the point with him. I think he's kind of the next guy up. Um, They didn't need to add him to the 40 man this offseason, which I think is a big reason why he didn't get a look this year um, when they might have, you know, when they were calling up a Pueo or, or, you know, putting Michael Chavis and Yaro Munoz in the outfield. Um, But he's a guy who could be very close. Uh, center fielder, a guy who they converted from a second baseman. Tell me if that sounds familiar. Um, you know, he's kind of the guy in the high minors. After that, you know, the other big name is Hilberto Jimenez. Again, I already talked about him. He's much further away, still pretty raw. We've got him projected to start the year in high A. Um, if they wanted to put him in low, you know, the, the, the projections this year are another dart throw because we don't know how they're going to do this with losing a year right are guys going to continue moving up past where they would have been you know Jimenez would have started this year in low a do you skip him over low a because you're a year later we don't know how they're going to play that but he's much further away much younger um other than that you know Marcus Wilson is the other guy on the 40 who we've got ranked in kind of that you know 20 to 30 range I believe um don't know the exact number off the top of the head but you know, there's a lot of tools there, but it's also there's still a lot of work to be done. I, I don't love his defense, um, you know, but he's raw. Who knows if they'll get what they'll get out of him. But otherwise, there's a, this group of young international free agent outfielders that was at the Fall Instructional League that we've had our eye on because they were all in the Dominican Summer League last year. Um, and then Chacon was a guy who was coming in behind who didn't play last year because he was kind of the year behind them. But there's this group that includes guys like Eduardo Lopez, Eduardo Vaughn, Brian Gonzalez, Juan Chacon, um, and some other guys that they signed after that, that they're all extremely far away. They're all going to be in rookie ball this year, right? Um, You know, Chacon, I presume they're going to skip over the Dominican Summer League, and he'll be in the States as well. But it's a group of very young, talented. Darrell Belen was a guy who was with that group that it looks like they might be moving to first base. We'll see, it was kind of hard to tell. He played mostly first base at the instructional league, but that might be just because of who was there and who was playing. Um, All very different. You've got a guy in Chacon, the first guy you asked about who was the largest bonus they gave out in the 2019 to 20 signing period of 900,000, which is not usually your kind of big name signing. They really spread the money out to a lot of players in uh, in that signing period, as opposed to having guys in the seven figures um but you know he's raw he's projectable has a lot of upside um you know should grow into more power um we had a report on him with plus speed at the instructional league the report we got on him was that it didn't quite stand out just very raw um you know maybe kind of a high risk sort of you know average projection you know 45 projection on a guy but so far away you just don't know what you're getting um but you know guys liked him um, Brian Gonzalez is a guy who's the raw power guy uh, hit nine home runs in the Dominican summer league last year. That was the most a Red Sox hitter has hit down there in a long time in part because Rafael Devers and Xander Bogarts didn't play full years down there. Mm-hmm. You know, Devers got called up mid year because he was just outclassing the DSL. He probably would have hit that many, but they didn't leave him down there. Um, but again, Gonzalez, very raw, a lot of swing and miss. He's just a very real strength guy. You have to see how the, the skills get developed. On the other end of the spectrum, Eduardo Lopez was one of the guys who they did give the year before. Chacon gave him seven figures. Um, not a lot of loud tools, but he's got a great batting eye, great hitting. You know, very good hitting. You know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? He at, at the plate, he's got a very professional approach and a good eye. He doesn't get himself out, but the the hitting ability, the hit tool, the power tool, those need to catch up with the batting eye and with the approach. So, you know, with all of these guys, they're just so raw.
0: Well, where, where does Jason oh, Rosario God. fit into this? Is because oh uh, Rosario,
1: thank you. a yeah, guy, well Rosario. About. So obviously
0: he's one of the guys they got in the Moreland trade. He's you yep. got him at number fifteen right now. Yep. And um, and once again, I mean, this is a great job. If for no other reason, you got a player that you can say, here's your fifteenth, you know, sure. SoxProspects fifteenth best prospect, yep. who's an outfielder. Um, so how do you view him?
1: You know, he's interesting because at the time of the trade, it was funny, Hudson Potts, who was the other guy they got in that trade, who's a third baseman, was ranked higher on some lists. But then everything you heard about with scouts, with some of the reports, and even, you know, at at one of the sites where they have different folks doing different lists for different teams when they got to the Red Sox. um, And actually, I'll say it, Jim Callison, and LB flipped him and put Rosario higher. Mm -hmm. Um, So these are the reports we're getting. And a lot of the scouts were saying, I really like Rosario, not Potts. So he's actually, at, the, at our previous rankings, before our year-end rankings, I think we had him at 11. We actually had him higher based on some of the reports we were getting, which was plus speed, um, you know, very good defensively, strong reads and instincts, potential plus defender in center field, above average arm. And, you know, at the plate, it's kind of an adventure, but we'll see if a change of scenery and different coaching will kind of fix that. And that's squared with everything we heard at first from, like, the alternate training site. Cut to the Fall Instructional League, and actually some of the reports we got where that, you know, maybe it's not plus speed. Maybe it's just above average speed. Um, on defense, it's more, it's fine. It's a lot of instincts. It's not really that plus run speed that gets them there. It's just instincts, which as we've seen, Jackie Bradley is not a plus runner, or you don't need plus speed to be a good defensive outfielder, right? You can just, you know, good instincts and a good first step can make up for a lot of that. Um, but the reports we got from Instructional League maybe didn't quite square. That said, again, it's a small sample size and a weird year. He got traded this year. Who knows? Um, so he's definitely still a top 20 guy, no question. He probably goes to high A next year, maybe in an outfield with Hilberto Jimenez. Maybe they'll try and keep them apart so they can both play center field. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe maybe he winds up in double A with Jimenez in, in high A. Who knows? It'll depend on how they look in spring training or insert season here training, whenever it winds up being. Um, but he's an interesting guy that we just want to see getting games. You know, how does he look at the plate in games against other teams pitching? You know, is it as much of an adventure? Are they working with him this offseason? Have they been working with him in fall instructional league to make some mechanical tweaks? We saw how successful they were doing that with um, with Duran this year at the at the uh, you know in camp and at the alternate training site. Can they do something like that with Rosario where they fix him, quote unquote? Um, You know, so he's an interesting kind of ball of another ball of clay type guy that they got for not a whole lot for half a season of Mitch. Yeah. Moreland. I
0: mean, it's like, listen, yeah. it's, it's, if you have that, if you have the, that promise, you've traded sure. for something uh, good. And by the way, and then when M- Mitch Moreland's playing in the Red Sox uniform in a couple months, it'll look even better. Sure. so, mm-hmm. um, so the last, you've been very generous with your time. I appreciate it, Chris. Mm-hmm. And so the last question is sort of a bigger picture question. And what I thought of uh, the other night is doing a, uh, radio and we had pat light on who was yeah. i don't know how high how high did pat get in the rank? I could,
1: I could i could pull it up for you all right okay. all right so
0: um the topic the topic came up of overvalue. what, what 13th. was it
1: 13? 13 13th. yeah oh that's not bad but. it wasn't too bad i mean he was kind of i could go into the pat light story if you want me to well, oh good. no going so well so pat light i mean the thing with him honestly so they they drafted him Higher than he had been ranked by a lot of places, he was taken in, in the first round, um, given a million dollar bonus, and you know coming out of Monmouth, not you know, and with Northeast guys, it's always a, a bit of a, a coin flip with the guys, and it was pretty clear he was going to move to the rotation pretty early, and they kept him in the rotation through High Salem, moved him to the bullpen in Portland, and he looked really good, and I think it was just a little that when they brought him up, it wasn't clear that he was quite ready. Um, and there have been a couple guys that come to mind that they've done that with Clay Meredith being the other one for folks who've been around for a minute. Of course. Yeah. Um, Doug where they came yeah. up and just maybe weren't quite ready for, for, you know, the bright lights yet. Um, but he, if I remember correctly, he'd been really good to start that year. And if you look at his numbers from Pawtucket the year he debuted, it was 232 ERA, 36 Ks and 31 innings, but 17 walks. And I think a lot of those were actually after he got sent down. It looked like, you know, and he's, you know, Pat at this point has 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 put himself out there as someone who was very frank and thoughtful. And even I interviewed him in Lowell and he was always like this, where he will tell you, he will be honest with you. And he's a nice, great guy, really generous with his time as well. You know, he'll give you thoughtful answers, not that I just tried my best out there today answer. Um, Who knows if he just got rattled going up there and, and just getting whacked in the majors like he did. Um, not a great situation, great situation for a guy, but it was just kind of, Maybe drafted a little higher than he should have been given a bigger bonus than he should have been higher expectations than there should have been, you know, was it really fair to him coming up and then maybe coming up a little sooner than he should have. um, Maybe all played a part in that, Um, you know, the last scouting report we have on him, we have him as a potential seventh inning guy with if he can improve his command. The command didn't really. But improve.
0: but the good news is that in the in our uh, media rankings and our media prospect rankings, he's climbing up the list. Though it's, oh, it's climbing
1: good. the list, and he's <laughs> number one in our hearts. Right?
0: Exactly. So we <laughs> so he came on the radio with me, and we were talking about overvaluing prospects, and which is I always going back to when I covered the team yeah. and Theo was the GM, and you know, and I think they would admit it at the time. It's it's hard not to overvalue prospects. Because you draft it, you scout a guy, you draft a guy, you pay a guy, you develop a guy, you get mm-hmm. to know the guy, and then when the team comes in and says, "Give me that guy," I'm like, "Well, we invested so so much sure. in this in this guy." Um, and I, it's funny because I was I was very fortunate. I was doing a book, the "Chasing Seinbrenner," and I was up there for a trade, and they traded. Um, it was the Brandon Line trade in Anastasio martinez remember yes. him? yeah right yeah. right so sure i remember theo going to ben Sherrington at the time sorry like so like so like literally said sorry we have to include him in the trade and ben was like no well that's what he's there for that's what we do but it's it is a a hard thing to do and we and when i was talking about it with pat we had obviously brought up uh, the Cole Hambles thing. Like we heard, you can't trade Henry Owens. You can't trade Henry Owens. You can't trade Blake Swihart. I'm disinterested mm-hmm. from your perspective of seeing that, of, of like how organizations can fall into that trap. Like one of the things yeah. before you answer, a huge feather in Ben Sherrington's cap is not trading Mookie Betts, it's not trading Jackie Bradley. Right.
1: Okay. you got to so, thread that needle.
0: Oh, and it, it yeah. must be one of the hardest things to do, especially like we're going through the list and we're seeing all the good in all of these guys. Mm-hmm. So it, from your perspective, it must be pretty interesting.
1: Yeah. And it, it's, it really, really is threading that needle. And for me, you know, one way I like to talk about it is finding the balance between Dave Dombrowski and Ben Sherrington. Sherrington held on to guys too long. I, I, you know, I, I feel comfortable saying that with him and it makes sense as a guy who came up as the player dev, you know, director, you know, had been in the system for so long, you know, he was one of the, you know, in that kind of Theo, Theo Epstein front office tree that we've seen, you know, really start to bear fruit or not start to, it's born fruit for a while, mm-hmm. right? You know, the number of, of GMs across the game and front office guys across the game and really still most of the Red Sox front office is still from that group. Um, a lot of the guys that are still around, you know, Bloom came in and granted he can't bring in any raise until next year, but you know, Dave Dombrowski didn't get rid of anybody. Granted, maybe, you know, then wound up leaning on Frank Wren and, and Tony La Russa over the guys who were here, but that's a whole other story. Uh, on the other end is Dave Dombrowski being maybe a little too willing to throw in an extra guy, right? No one's going to fault you for trading Michael Kopech and Johan Moncata for Chris Sale because flags fly forever, right? But on the other hand, did you need to throw in, four guys into that trade, four guys into the Craig Kimbrell trade, four guys into the Tyler Thornburg trade, you know, at some point it's too much. So you have to find that balance. And it's really just finding, you know, who are the guys to trade at the right time? You know, one thing Dombrowski was very good at, even though he traded a lot of guys was trading from depth, you know, at the time, you know, you look at the the Craig Kimbrell deal where they traded Manny Margot um, Javier Guerra, Logan Allen, and Carlos Asuaje. Okay, you know what? They didn't get beat on that trade, right? None of those guys are guys that you're sitting around saying, man, it'd be real. Even Logan Allen, who we thought at the time was the guy they didn't need to throw in. But like with Guerra, at the time, who was a shortstop, uh, they wound up with a pretty good shortstop that they developed internally and is going to be around at least until 2022 and hopefully for long after in Xander Bogart's. So at the time when you're looking at a shortstop, that's a position you can deal from. Um, you look at some of the other deals they made. Jo Monka. at the time, they still had Pedroia at second. They had Xander Bogarts and they had Devers who they were insisting on hanging on to at third, potentially coming up. That's a position of that's a position of depth where you can move a guy and it's not going to kill you. Um, so that's part of it. and part of it is just having the right read on a guy. You know, we've been wondering for a while how does Devers Dalbeck Shavis shake out? You know, do you try and move a Dahlbeck or a Shavis when they're at the peak of their value? And what is the peak of their value? Because the other piece of this is the other team has to want the player. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes we'll get questions on our podcast, Rob, where it's like, is this a guy they should hang on to or is this a guy they should trade? And it's like, well, with that dichotomy, you're, you're implying that either he's good or he's bad. And if he's bad, they should trade him. Well, that means the other team doesn't know he's bad, which is completely unrealistic. And you know, who was, you know
0: who was excellent at identifying the guy and getting – hyping them up well enough mm-hmm. and then giving him up in the trade and the guy becoming nothing? And it wasn't like they were trying to get over it, but this was just like, like to your yep. point, what you do with John Sherholtz and the old Atlanta Braves. And the reason I, I thought of that was because, you know, we had Dayton Moore on the podcast, and my, that was basically my sole um, – The sole reason of or one of the biggest topic of conversations I wanted to ask him about, like, how do you get to that point? How do you do that? Because they did it so well.
1: Andy Marte, holy mackerel.
0: You know, yeah. it's so it's a good. The point Red Sox
1: then turned and you know, I mean, the Red right. So- the only number one prospect to never play a game in the system, right? Because they traded for him, he became the number one prospect in the system. And they flipped them the same office. Well,
0: and then you know, then that day they made the press conference. Remember at the winter meetings, they say they're saying that he's going to hit cleanup. You know, it's right, it's, right. So, so anyway, I don't, you know. But oh, it's tough because right, sometimes
1: there are know. guys who, you know, Jeter Downs is a guy who comes to mind as we're talking about this because he's been traded twice. People don't realize this. The, the Dodgers got him in a trade from the Reds. Mm. And it's kind of this area where it's like a guy is good enough for another team to want him, but not so good that you don't want to move him. Mm. And that's such a narrow, and that's the reason we don't see a lot of prospect for prospect trades. Right, because it's like if you're willing to trade this prospect for another prospect, if I'm the other team, I'm like, well, what what do they know that we don't?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What what are they not? T- what do we not know? What did we miss in our scouting? Is he a makeup? Is he a bad makeup guy? Does he, is he, you know? Is there some kind of hitch in his swing we didn't pick up with our advanced you know with our our pro scout seeing him in high A? So that's just really tough. Whereas if it's for a major league player, you can say, oh, they want to win now. Right. And that's why they're willing to Well, you
0: know it was an interesting one looking back and someone I think one of the um people the athletic wrote a story on uh, mm-hmm. Johan Santana's Cy Young Kennedy in two thousand five. Yeah. And that yeah. would immediately I remember, oh man, I remember when the Red Sox were in on Johan Santana. Yeah. Like that's right. the two thousand seven season. And
1: in the move. I don't even remember that. But I remember
0: Well, no, so what was interesting was you talk about, you know, obviously for the twins that was a big deal. Like they had they they had to get the right guy, yeah. And so, for the conversations they had with the Red Sox, they did have the right guys. They had Ellsbury, they had Lester, and they
1: had Buckholz. Oh, I mean, they would have killed that trade.
0: Oh yeah, and so the Red Sox didn't want to put Lester and Ellsbury in the same deal. What they ended up with with the Mets trade wasn't you know you had Carlos Gomez and Philip um, hum, Humber, Humber and. Yeah. Uh, and you know guys that never really became anything close to Johan Santana, but oh, but sure. but that that to me, just looking back at that, I'm like, well, at least good for you, Minnesota Twins, for asking for the right guy for the Red Sox,
1: sure. And, and I mean, you look at the, the reporting on the, the Chris sale trade, I mean, the the White Sox, you know, after they'd gotten Dombrowski to do Moncada Kopeck as the headliner, yeah. Yeah. they throw endeavors, yeah. And, Right. You know, and for the long longest time, we heard that the White Sox White Sox asked for Devers and the Red Sox said no. And it's like, okay, what's the context? You know, it doesn't mean they liked him better than Moncada. It might have just been that he was the third guy and that's what it wound up being. And it's like, yeah, the Dabrowski was right to tell them to go take a hike. But yeah. man, they had a beat on the system, right? You know, that's that's boom, boom, boom. That's three studs, potentially. I mean, who knows what Kopech's going to turn right. into with his very, you know, wishing the best for him, whatever his yeah. issues were this year. But you know, they nailed it talent-wise, no question, Um, and even the guys they got in behind, okay, Luis Alexander Basabe maybe hasn't quite panned out, but he's a guy that they were able to then move, um, I believe, or maybe he went to the Giants as a free agent, I I don't quite remember, but um, you know, they got four, that was a great four-player package, you know, it's better than, it's certainly a lot better than the Padres got, the Padres, you know, traded for Guerra as a shortstop, he winds up moving to the bullpen, like, almost a different player, so yeah i mean knowing you know and that's one thing that frankly dave dombrowski for as much as i kind of whacked him for being too willing to trade guys no he identified the right guys right there weren't too many deals he got beat on no no
0: he,
1: he, he traded too many guys but like other than you know even the pomerants trade like espinosa winds up throwing two, getting two tommy Johns, and you, you could you could kind of see that coming yeah you know where he was a small guy you don't maybe see two tommy johns but you could see him being a guy who could potentially break down throwing that hard from that frame. Yeah. The thing that they said about Pedro Martinez for years, and he just turned out to be a freak, yeah. but you know, he was, he was really good at doing that identification. And so it's some, some GMs can do that. Some can't. It's, and it's tough. You know, there's plenty of guys. I'm not going to say I'm good at it. There are plenty of guys who I was sure were going to make it. I thought there was no question. Garan Cicchini was going to hit at the major league level. It just didn't happen. You know, I was a big Lars Anderson guy he didn't quite make it you know or not didn't quite make it didn't make it and, and he'd be the first to tell you um but you know so uh, you know i'm not perfect at it there's a reason why i'm here and not in a front a front office no no
0: believe uh, me you would be better than a lot of people in a lot of front office yeah it's it's, you speak- know, you,
1: it's it's all relative to ranking guys next to each other and putting a grade and, a, and the error bars at the right place is really <laughs> what i'm trying to do
0: so speaking of you being in a front office here you go the last thing okay it's a fun hypothetical which i you know right. why not
1: I'm, is that, I'm a lawyer who went to law school. I'm all about hypotheticals. oh
0: okay so so um I, I you know, I did a post, and um it was like why not make it was after listening to High and Bloom on the radio sure I, is there a reason why you wouldn't call Tampa Bay? Is there any like, oh no, we'll do anything at any time, which I believe by the way, you talked sure. to people at Tampa even before you left. these guys are crazy, they'll do anything, and so <laughs> right. um so. Then I'm like, okay. Well, you make the call on Blake Snell. You make the call on Blake Snell, and then mm-hmm. then you add up. Well, it, Chris, the Chris Sale deal, and I understand this is not apples to apples, but the Chris Sale deal.
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: you had three years of control. You had the guy at basically the same age, 28 years old. Yep. So I understand they don't have their <laughs> they don't have the Michael Kopech and Johan Maga at the top of the list. Sure. You're yeah. the GM, Chris you 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 say, and John Henry says, "I want you making to the call to Tampa Bay. Sure about this. What are you offering Tampa that that you feel like is actually it probably won't get the deal done because other teams would offer more they have yeah. better farm system. but give me your give me your best pitch
1: well, so here's the thing here's the thing with 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 Snell is Snell is not sale, right, and that's the thing that' I've, you know if you look at it, snail's snail Snell's best season. Um, which was a couple of years back when he won he won the Young? right? Mm-hmm. Um, his best season was roughly Chris Sale's worst in terms of uh fangrafts war the, of sales like prior four or five years prior to the trade. So we're talking uh, to... I like this by the
0: way. I like this by the way. This is you're on the you're on the call with Tampa. Oh, I'm telling this, I'm, it's I'm say telling it's it. say, like listen, let's yeah. start right here. This is not gonna be Chris Sale, right? No, so, good. no, good job by you.
1: I mean, I know. Uh, I really want to hang on to Casas. I I think there's a lot more up. I don't know that you're going to get adequate value for his upside. Um, I think Downs is a guy I'm willing to talk about. Um, Granted he slots in right now as a pretty clear successor at the second base position, but maybe you can get that elsewhere. Um, You know, maybe that's a, a spot where you, you know, you can get another guy. Um, Honestly, anyone but Casas I'm listening on, that Duran, Mata, Downs tier, Mm -hmm. Um, not all three of them, I'd listen on two. I've got
0: to be be honest with you, you have to save the Jeter, Downs, and um, Jaron Duran trade for my Whit Merrifield trade, which I also proposed. Okay, well,
1: (laughs) but here's the thing, Whit Merrifield sliding in at second. And
0: outfield, you know, second in outfield, yeah.
1: That's true. So maybe it depends on who else you get. Maybe he's the guy slotting in and, and you don't resign. I, I presume. No, but he's he's practice. a
0: lead off hitter. Like this is yeah. like, I'm pounding the this drum is for that. Yeah. There's a go. big fit for Mary. But, 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 so, but, so, but you're going to have to, but you're going to have to, for the Snell conversation, because it's like, you're right about the sale thing, but because he has three years left, because let's be honest, he's also still in the division. And I don't totally buy like, that that doesn't factor in. Alex Anthopoulos said that when they were trading Roy Halladay. Sure, I'll do a deal with the Red Sox, but it's going to cost them more. Sure. Um, so I think that you're going to have to include cashes. Like I think that you're going to
1: have to. Yeah, and, and I don't know that I would just because because of how I feel about Snell. Just because if it, if there was the consistent, I'm just pitchers. You know, pitchers make me scared, man. I, I mean, look at what happened with Sale. Granted, it didn't happen until they signed him to the extension but these guys will break down, you know, and and it's going to happen. And I don't like giving up too much. And that's the one thing that I'll ding Dombrowski for too, especially for relievers because they're so volatile, but even starting pitching, I like Snell a lot. He had a really good year. It was like, if you extrapolate it out to 162 games, it was like a two to three war year. It wasn't a four to five war year. I'm not convinced that this is the guy that's going to be your Chris Sale horse going forward. Mm-hmm. Granted, if you know Chris Sales is going to come back and you need a two or a three, if you know Eduardo Rodriguez is going to be able to handle a workload like he did in 2018 or 19 again, great. Um, I don't know that. And I think they need I think they need breadth more than they need that one last, you know, Blake Snell type, which is why I'm I'm loath to give up Cas. I'm also a, a Casas. A, uh, he's my bankie. You know? um, baseball America uses the term personal cheese ball. Um, I, I really like Casas. I happen I caught him last year and he went, he, he had one of the longer home runs I've ever seen in my life up in Hagerstown for me. That's good. Um, I just really good thing, good thing you weren't
0: doing these records when Sam Horn was around because he would be like, oh my goodness, look at that home run. <laughs> I'm joking. Well,
1: I mean, and I say that too, you know, I was lucky if, if I saw Raphael Devers in the minors six times, I think I saw seven home runs just All by chance. Um, this is you know the least scientific way of of ranking prospects ever but... you
0: are you listen you aren't alone you are hey, the he knows I'm
1: there and he's gonna hit a home run for me I gotta do what I
0: as can. someone as someone who I I hope they burnt the tape where I when Durbin Feldman was pitching in spring training and I'm doing mm-hmm. the broadcast and I'm basically doing what Joe Castiglione does every time Rich Hill pitches and jump out of the booth like oh my goodness did you see that 12 to six curve did you yeah. see that nice. Durbin Feldman, your
1: next closer. It could come back, man. I mean, here's what I want to know, Rob, if I can throw one back on you. Yeah, sure. Back in the Luis Alisea Lowell Spinner's days. Oh, the glory days. Who, who, was there anyone that was your guy even back then? Back when you were, you know, working? Yeah,
0: yeah. So, yeah, well, when I was working at Lowell Mm -hmm. and the Lowell Sun, it was, uh, I got a chance to see them a whole lot more. And, and first of all, what a great run of managers they had. And I'm not even – I don't even know if they were good managers. But in terms of talking, like Alisaia, uh, John Diebel, you know, mm-hmm. Gary – like I think he was – Gary DeSarcy was the manager there, right? Yeah, he was. Yeah, yep. yeah. yeah. yeah sure. So, I mean, what a great run they had, and particularly yeah. when I was around. Here's a guy that – and this is a little bit before. But uh, the guy they actually put in the shilling trade, this guy, Michael Goss. you yeah, okay. Right? So he hit yeah. almost 400, like, at his time in Lowell. A guy who he flew around the field. And so when they make the trade, I would be fascinated to say, oh, yeah, but I know they had the list of guys. But Michael Goss, like, you watch him play at Lowell. And another another one is, um, oh, my goodness, what am I, I'm blanking his name. Annabelle Sanchez. Annabelle Sanchez. When I yep. saw him pitching Lowell, it was like, boom, that's yeah. that's something. And I yeah. got to be honest with you, when I stopped by, like you said, I only get a chance to be there once or twice now, but um, Bizardo was pitching one of the times I saw him, and, and he looked great. Like, he yeah. looked great. And, and and that's the thing I think is so dangerous. When you're there only a couple times, and yeah. you say, oh, like you turn to, um, you know, whoever, <laughs> whatever, whoever is there, it's like, oh, he looks good. Yeah, like he's pretty good. Yeah, well, he's yeah. like.
1: You know, it's Lowell. You caught the you good, know. yeah, exactly. Or it's, the, or it's the college guy who like w- was in the SEC and was playing, facing better pitching. Oh, I'm, I'm totally. You
0: know what? And I forgot the ultimate one was Abe Alvarez. Abe oh, Alvarez. sure. Or, Abe yeah. Alvarez didn't give up. A, I don't. He may not have given up a hit. You know, when he right. was in Lowell. Yeah, he was and, a stud. Oh, it, it, To and, an and, extent. Yeah, and he had the hat crooked. He had the story, the blind in one eye, and blah blah blah. And then yeah. you know, like, so you're like, oh, well. Abe Alvarez this, A Alvarez that. He gets his chance at the major leagues. And I remember, I remember um, being—I was tight with a general manager and being up in his suite during the general manager's meetings. We're talking about the Red Sox. And I'm like, oh, you know who you should go after is this A Alvarez guy. And I think I lost all credibility right oh, no. there.
1: Well, you got to—you got to have those guys that you learn that it's like it's not the numbers, right? Like right. Moneyball taught us a little bit about it's not all about home runs and RBIs and, and runs, but like. It's not about numbers. You have to look at an age relative to level. Like, you know, how are they doing that? You know, I remember Garen Cicchini stole, like, 50 or 60-something bases in low A, and I had to explain to people, like, no, he's not going to do this. He's not that fast. Well, how about Makata?
0: I mean, Makata was, you know, was basically 97% stolen base percentage. Yeah. and In in the minor leagues, and then – and everyone's like, "Well, including myself, well, he could be a weapon in the postseason. He could be the designated runner. He could be the Quentin yeah. Berry. And then within a, within that week, he was up. He got picked off like twice. right. You know? It was right. terrible.
1: It's different. It's different. It's you know, even triple A. you got to let these guys get to double A, AA, triple A before you really you know, hey, they you know, they're gonna have to move this guy off this position. Well, let's let him get to double A first before we start talking about what we're going to do with him to get them up to the majors so you you learn these lessons the only way to learn them is over time luckily we're we're we're, we've been around for long enough to learn a lot of those and hopefully we avoid those pitfalls when we do things like making our rankings at this point and making sure we've got the right data points and and you know it's something you learn over time and and we're lucky enough to have had that well well well,
0: chris this has been awesome it really has it's been so much fun i love talking about this stuff and and I also love being educated on it, and and it's I appreciate all the insight. I appreciate Ian and all you guys, Mike, and, and everybody of your team that does such an awesome, awesome job. And we're all appreciative of it. So
1: well, I appreciate um, getting the chance to come here on the Bradfo Show and, and make my debut. Oh, uh, there's a there's, no a, a, t-
0: there's, a, there's a t-shirt gone. on the way. There's